Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Riverfront. This is episode number 476 of the world's most dangerous podcast, where we discuss the Cincinnati Reds and occasionally the greatest player in Reds history, Nick Senzel. I'm your host, Chad Dotson, and with me this week, once again, it's Nate. How are you, Nate? Starting off hot. I love it. Uh, Chad, I am great. Um, people may not know this. I'm also a Phoenix Suns fan. And it occurred to me that uh, I, I don't know how many times in my life good things have happened to me on both my baseball and basketball fan front in my life. But Suns are playing well. The Reds are hot right now. Let's keep the good times a rolling, my friend. How are you? Absolutely. Oh, I'm wonderful. I, I, the Reds are not in last place. I repeat, the Reds are not in last place. This is not a drill. This has been the most Reds week, <laughs> or most, you know, of the, the the Reds of the last 10 years. This has been the most Reds week that we've seen forever. It started off just horrible, ended up great, and now everybody's uh, having fun again. And that is the nature of being a Reds fan, unfortunately, is it's up and down, peaks and valleys, highs and lows. And uh, so let's dig into it a little bit. This, this week, the Reds, of course, <laughs> it, it just it's still crazy to me. It's still just crazy. They get swept by Pittsburgh. Okay. Now, Pittsburgh, of course, suppose is has been one of maybe the hottest team in, in baseball, but uh they were supposed to be kind of like the Reds, not good. So the Reds get swept, swept four game series against Pittsburgh, turn around, uh, come home and win a three-game series against the Texas Rangers, the, the first place Texas Rangers. Uh, it's just, you know. Two walk-offs, no home runs until the very last swing of the uh, Rangers series. So the Reds are swept by the Pirates, six-game losing streak, 14 of 18 losses. And you're like, oh, what is going on with this team? And then all of a sudden, just when I think I'm out, they pull me back in. Uh, it was, in some ways, it started bad, but it ended up being a fun week. I'm, I'm happy. How about you, Nick? Uh, really happy today. Baseball is weird, man. <laughs> it's <laughs> it dumb. It's so it. dumb. I uh, saw an off-season poll where, like, they just fans got to vote uh, during the off-season, and I think the Pirates were one of two teams, the Pirates and the A's, that neutral fans, fans from everybody in MLB, picked to be worse than the Reds this year. So even though they started out hot, I wasn't necessarily a believer. My opinion may have changed. We'll see, but. Do you think that we will uh, look back on that four-game sweep at the hands of the Buckos as the low point of the season? <laughs> we we could. We really could by the, by the time it's over. We'll look hope back so. and say, how did that happen? Yeah, well, I hope so too. But um, the Reds at this time are 10 and 15. That's, that's not good. Uh, seven and a half games out of first place already, but a half game behind them in last place. Eight games out of first. The St. Louis Cardinals. Mm, mm. Pump it into my veins. Alive. Oh, please. I love I would, it. I, love I would it. like to say maybe that as uh, Reds fans, we can settle down a little bit on making fun of the Cardinals for being in last. We're still Reds fans. So that's a, yeah. be humble. Yeah, it's, that's definitely no, no, do not. Absolutely not. We don't get to do this uh, very often. Enjoy it and mock every Cardinals fan you can find. Because uh, it may, and we have a question that we'll we'll discuss a little bit more. But it's probably not going to last. But um, enjoy it while we can. No, seriously. To be honest with you, no joke. After that pirate series, I thought there would never be a second for the rest of the season where the Reds would not be in last place. I just thought, well, this is where we're yeah destined to go. At the end of that pirate series, they were on pace to lose 106 games 
which would have, I, I don't remember what the exact number was, but it definitely would have resulted in a tattoo for me, <laughs> uh, if I recall our preseason uh, shenanigans. Uh, and so just, you know, to, again, baseball's dumb, like we said, but just to come back and uh, a f- fun, competitive series against the uh, the Rangers, uh, two one-run games, and then uh, the last game walk-off was a uh, two-run game, 5-3 victory, and, you know, <laughs> it would be all difficult. we've asked for is go out. Let me just say this quickly. All we've asked for is just, we just want to have some fun, just some entertaining games. And, you know, we got them. We absolutely got them. Frankly, even in that pirate series, you know, uh, two one run losses and two, two run losses, you know, it was still entertaining in, in the sense of the Reds were competitive. So uh, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I think it would be uh, difficult to have gone up into the baseball laboratory and craft a uh, a more fun series against, you know, two teams in opposite leagues in the middle of April. Um, this was great. Two walk-offs, overcoming that six-run deficit, in the seventh and eighth in the other. Well, I asked you about that Pirates series. I just hope we don't look back at this Texas series as the high point of the season. <laughs> Come on because, now, let's not do that. Um, they're a first-place <laughs> team. They, yeah, I mean, that lineup is pretty dangerous. Um, I like what they're doing over there. But I kind of can say the same thing about Pittsburgh. I um, I think they might be legit. And I guess we have uh, a few more questions about that, so we can talk about that a little bit more later. Okay. But uh, I have a question I want to throw at you. TJ Friedel and these bunts, what are your thoughts? <laughs> well, if you read anything I ever wrote, you might already have some preview. A couple of weeks ago, I had to write about TJ Friedel because he, he was uh, talking about how he wanted to get five bunt hits a month. Mm-hmm. That he's never bunting the sacrifice. Sometimes it may be a sacrifice, but he's always bunting for a hit every time. And he thinks if he can get five bunt hits um, every month, then it's yeah, it, it, all of his numbers go up. So I'm like, okay, that sounds good. And then go ahead and talk about <laughs> his bunting uh, here in recent days. It made me kind of think, okay, I get it. I get that you think you can get on five extra hits a month by the bunt, but sometimes you got to swing away. Uh, so I'll let you. I'll let you take it. Out. Yeah, I guess it was Monday's game when he gets his walk off. Like I was, I was super annoyed. He tries to lay down bunts on the first two, uh, first two pitches, and we just had a leadoff hit by Jonathan India. There's, there's just no scenario where the percentage just say a bunt is a good idea. I don't care how good at laying them down for hits you are. But then I look up. Jonathan India is on second because of a pass ball that I think seemed pretty directly related to Friedel threatening that bunt. Catcher not getting down one to hop up, not trying to block that pitch. <laughs> so I don't know. Obviously, he ends up you know, swinging away with two strikes and getting the hit that sealed the deal. But I, I, this Reds team is like a perfect summation or summarized perfectly by TJ Friedel and his bunts. It's frustrating. It's chaotic. It's fun. I don't know. I don't know what to think. Yeah, me either. I, I, I sort of say, I go back and forth. I like it in theory for the first time in my life. I don't mind the bunts, but then he's turning to bunt there, and that, and he gets the walk off, which was not a bunt, by the way. It was a hit, yeah. and so um, I'm like thinking, just swing the bat, swing the bat, because there are some scenarios where that sacrifice makes sense. Um, and if he, you know, if he bunts for a single there, then we're uh, the Reds are in uh, in high cotton. So I don't know, but. Uh, I'm all about what TJ Friedel is doing right now, frankly. Um, you're not going to hear me uh, complain about TJ Friedel at the moment. He is hitting 298, 355 on base, 440 slugging, and, uh, you know, 
Second on the team in ribeye stakes of all, all players. 11 RBIs. Um, barely yeah, ahead of J Jason Vosler, who we'll talk about in a moment. But I, I like me some T.J. Friedel. Yeah, we'll all sign up for a season long about T.J. Friedel having a yeah. 800 OPS and 109 wide endurance for creating plus. Let's keep it going. Whatever, okay, well, T.J., I'm sorry. Bun away. Whatever you want, bro. <laughs> Whatever it takes. I'm just enjoying all we got. Hey, you know, um, our buddy Garber, uh, Chris Garber, who's a longtime friend of the show and the author of probably the best Reds book that's ever been uh, written. He said something on Twitter the other day that will be a, go completely over Nate's head. Um, but for those of my uh, <laughs> of my vintage, of my generation, he made a great comparison. He said that T.J. Friedel reminds him of Eddie Milner. Eddie Milner was a center fielder in the uh, early to mid uh, 80s, right when I first became a Reds fan. He's the only player I ever got an autograph from. Uh, but I love the guy. He wasn't great. He couldn't. He had no power, basically. He, pretty good defense, quick. And uh, I thought, that's a great he's, – he's, he, he was good enough. He wasn't probably wasn't as good as I thought he was as a nine-year-old. But uh, – and, and maybe the same with Friedel. He, he came up late and had a – few productive years. Friedel came up a little bit late, then hopefully he'll have a few productive years. So I hadn't intended to, to wax poetic about uh, either TJ Friedel or Eddie Milner today, but let's, you know, it's a conversational show. We go where we go. It's the riverfront. It is. It is. Uh, before we get into some more individual performances from these, uh, from the week that was, Nate, anything else you want to say about, uh, you know, just either series or anything in particular that uh, you saw that, that stood out for you, or you want to just dive into the individuals? Um, any anything I would talk about is going to lead into talks about those individuals. The uh, the homerless streak by the Reds being ended in pretty incredible fashion by a guy that I do want to dive into a little bit. Um, that's really it. We had some up and down performances, but uh, you know it was it was it was so much fun. I love day baseball, so I got to oh, you know, yeah. I'm lucky enough to work from home when I'm not on the when I'm not driving around, and I got to just have that game on the TV in the background and. It's, it was a good week to be a Reds fan. At least a good. This has been a good week. Last week was terrible. <laughs> right. Last week ended poorly. Um, yeah, you know, the homerless streak. We talk about that Pirates series and, you know, two one-run games, two two-run games. Uh, you know, four to three loss, four to two loss, two to one loss, two to zero loss. So you're getting good pitching. Bullpen pretty good throughout that time. Mm. And uh, I fear we don't have any power. Right now, there's some things happening today down on the farm that are also we're going to get excited about that we'll talk about here in just a little bit uh, with respect to power. But that's a that's a time when you have just a, a decent offense in that Pirate series. You may be able to split that series, but the, the pitching was good, and so I don't know. Um, we need that series. Split that series, and the Reds are all of a sudden looking at a twelve and fourteen or twelve and thirteen record. And we would be irrationally excited about things. Right. Yeah. Just split that series. Then you all of a sudden you've won uh, five out of seven. And uh, yeah, Yahoo. But they didn't. So uh, let's talk about the guy we, we sort of wanted. To, and I teased at the beginning. Nick Senzel. Uh, I, I've been predicting um, for at least five years now that this is it. This is Nick Senzel's breakout season. And I, mean, I really mean it this time. I really mean it. Nick Senzel. Listen to these numbers, Nate. Nick Senzel is hitting... Well, I had it pulled up here. Let me find that again. Is hitting 625 with a 625 on base percentage, a 1,000 slugging percentage. That's an OPS of 1625. 
That, that is just amazing production <laughs> over the last two games. Okay, so it's just been two games, which some may call a small sample. I don't. Nixon Zell is back. Finally, he's feeling good. And and actually, look, I, I'm, a, I'm a Nixon Zell apologist in some ways, but uh, there, there was some indication his uh, batting average on balls in play, uh, his, the contact he was making, some indication he was doing way better than he was before this recent uh, two game, two game hot stretch, you know. <laughs> but when he was hitting 139, uh, 225 on base, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I just I want him to be good so much that I'm getting irrationally excited over two games. Talk me off the ledge here, Nate, or talk me back onto the ledge, maybe. Are we doing this again? Are we really doing this again? <laughs> yes. Yes, we are. Yes, we Submit are. that we are. Man, if you don't feel good for a little Cincy after that home run, that walk-off, and those post-game interviews in the Viking outfit, you know, we just can't be friends. It's as simple as that. <laughs> it was It was obvious how much that meant to him and the emotion flowing through him. It was really fun to see. You know, I love that the Reds have been playing him at, third base, which is, you know, like his position, which is a novel idea. Right. Let's play the guys at the positions that they're best at. Weird. You know, I, I don't know if he's actually turned a corner, but I'm going to – he's got at least one more shot for me because I have such a difficult time not rooting for that guy. You know, friend of the podcast, picking up his teammates in big moments, seeing how happy they were for him. It's not yeah. like one of these malcontent clubhouse presences. It's He's, he's loved by his teammates. He's – Important in that locker room. So if they, they can get him going, man, I mean, we, we can hope for anything. It's all we do as Reds fans. Hope, 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 hope. Why can't we hope for this? Oh, we're doing it. We are doing it. It's ridiculous. It's good. Cool. You know, fool us once. Fool us once. Shame on you. Fool us twice. Shame on me. Fool us five times. Shame on Nick. No, you're right. It was like a, a catharsis or something. It was like um, uh, that the walk-off home run to sweep the uh, the Rangers. Since they're coming around, I mean, you could just sort of see coming around. He was he was floating on air coming around the the uh, the bases, and yeah, the post game interviews. Uh, it felt like there was a weight lifted. A lot more still to do, you know. But his on um, base percentage is right around three hundred now after an awful start. So again, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm searching for things. But I hear, we do have a, a viewer mail question this week about uh, Nick Zell. This comes from our friend James Urban. As always, these uh, viewer mail questions come from our friends at Patreon dot com slash riverfront cincy james urban asks really uh it's not really it's more of a demand than a question james um say something nice about nixon zell well here's what here's my response to that i challenge you to say something bad about nixon zell there's nothing but nice things to say about that guy he's awesome he's the red center fielder of the future finally he's finally living up to his uh, potential what a time to be alive um how about jose barrero you know, I, from an overall, from like a general theory, I, I feel the same about him. Like, let's give him some time. But he was he was actually pretty bad <laughs> over the last week. A lot of the optimism that I had going into last week's episode kind of fizzled a little bit. But he had a couple really slick defensive plays. He had a couple bad ones, but we don't need to talk about those. This is a happy show. You know, but he's always had a great glow, so I'm not too worried about that. Let's give him some time. Um, and I, you know, I kind of feel the same about his bat. This team, as constructed, is not trying to win baseball games. They are not trying to compete for a playoff spot. They want to win, sure. The guys in the field do. The the coaches obviously do, but they're not. You don't. You don't trot Luis Sessa and 
Connor Overton and Luke Weaver and these guys out there time and time again if you're trying to compete for a playoff spot. So if that's the case, Jose Barrero needs to be out there five or six days a week. Let him figure it out. I don't think there's anything that he's going to learn in AAA that he can't from working every day with Joel McKeithen. So I don't know. I, I I want him to have all of the time that he needs. Well, not all the time that he needs because there are some guys going to be beating down the door uh, very, very soon, it looks like. Um, but for now, yeah, he's absolutely the best. Jose Barrero is it, – it's like literally every other night I change my mind on him because I'll watch him he'll make some crazy play. And there was one play he made where he just – he has a gun. He has, he has a big arm, and he uh, – and then he, the next night he makes a dumb play. Um, you know, he gets a couple hits. I'm like, all right, here we go. And then, uh, you know, well, for example, in um, he had that awful start, his first eight games of the year. But if you start, again, I'm picking selective endpoints here, but you start on April 10th, his ninth game of the year, and you go up until the end of that Pirate series. That's 13 games. Okay, yes, small sample size. But it's why I was starting to get encouraged. Because his numbers in those games, 282 average, 383 on base, 410 slugging. Um, he had walked seven times, uh, you know. Now, he did go, he went over seven in the uh, in the Rangers series. But um, his walk rate is almost double his walk rate last season. Yes, yes, tiny sample size. Um, I'm, I need to keep saying that. Um, yes, he's still swinging at, at way too many pitches outside of the zone. But fewer than before. And, um, yeah, yeah. So he needs, he needs to quit swinging so many times out of the zone, but progress. And so, um, I don't know. I just, uh, he's one that I want to believe in. I'm looking forward to the year, uh, 2027 when we can get excited over his fifth uh, opportunity, like uh, Nick Senzel's. Um, but I, I guess my, my, my ultimate comment on Jose Burr is I really don't know what to make, but yes, I, I see good things. I see bad things. Let's let it play out and see what comes out in the wash. Well, and in a perfect world, because there are so many prospects knocking on the door at a position that he happens to play, the best thing for Reds fans, I think, would be for him to go on a major heater, have a really hot month, and then get flipped for something. Oh, gosh. Can you imagine? I think that would be the best. And maybe a change of scenery wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for him either. But until then, like the guy just wears a uniform. With the pre-Moneyball era, he would have been coveted. He just That's looks true. like a ball player out there. So I have not lost faith yet. There are some alarming uh, you know, aspects to his game, but it's nothing new. So we'll see. Yeah. One thing that I do want to praise him for, and I don't know how I've never noticed this, and I'm sure it happens in every single game, but in that Texas series, when they were uh, he was on deck circle, he was had just gotten home or was the uh, next guy up, and somebody was coming home, he was behind the plate just like, very, very animatedly telling people which way to slide. The, the throw's coming from over here. Get down, slide right, slide left. And watching him do that, I don't know. I just made me happy. <laughs> yeah. No, there's nothing to dislike about the guy. I mean, there's a lot of people say mean things about him on the Twitters, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I root for a kid like that. Yeah. So, but but he has to be, you know, kind of like a Nixon Zell. We talked about the catharsis for Nixon Zell, you know, hopefully he's getting some of that monkey off his back <laughs> two games, two games <laughs> worth of playing well. Um, Barrero has games to, that he played in his first three seasons combined. <laughs> well, now that's not quite true, but Barrero has to hear the footsteps yeah. behind him. He, he knows who's playing uh, shortstop in triple a, 
Um, he knows who's playing shortstop and second base in AAA. And he has to know, and that's got to be pressure for a kid. It's just got to be a lot of pressure. And, and Jose Barrero is just 25. It's not like we're talking about, uh, you know, a wise and veteran here. So, I don't know. I, I think that's about all to say about uh, Jose Barrero for now. But, I don't know, fingers crossed. Hey, hey the, the Reds uh, just swept a series, Nate. Hopefully not for the last time this season, but we'll see. How about our weekly update of the big three? Yeah. Um, let me just say this before we uh, get into the, I'll let you uh, talk a little bit about the uh, status, but did you see the reports that are there's trickling out that uh, the Reds and Graham Ashcraft have had preliminary talks at least? And you have to think they've approached Nicoladolo as well. And so I don't know until they get those signatures. I'm, I'm not going to get too excited, but if they sign those three to some sort of a contract extension, I'm probably going to have to stop hating this franchise. Well, no, no, it's not, that's not go that far, but I don't know. I, I like those reports. Anyway, uh, say what you want to say. You can start with Graham Ashcraft or whoever you want to start with uh, out of the big three. I will start with Graham um, as he is my adopted son. I haven't just, you know, haven't told him yet and filed the paperwork, but we'll get there. Uh, he had two starts since our last episode against Pittsburgh. Went five innings, two runs, four Ks, three walks, and a loss, but was very, very solid when he wasn't his sharpest. But for me, right. the big one was was uh, yesterday, Wednesday, um, that final game against Texas. Six innings, two earned, three Ks, and four walks, battling through an incredibly emotional day. His grandmother had passed away, and they were extremely close a couple days prior. Texas was her favorite team, apparently, until he joined the Reds. <laughs> and you could see the emotion on the field. He was looking up in between innings. But he also just, like, I love watching this guy compete. Um Got into a bases loaded, no outs jam, got out of it. Um, he's just out there hustling. I'm just really, really happy for him. And I got to say, I think he is officially my favorite non-Joey Reds. Makes yeah. sense. The, the, the Graham Ashcraft fan club has very few remaining spots. So uh, join up while you can. <laughs> That's right. Get on that bandwagon now. Um, yeah, no, emotional, certainly. And uh, but and uh, you got to be happy for the guy. And I, I hate that he's going through that. And our, our uh, thoughts and prayers go out to, to Graham and his uh, his family. Uh, what you just said, though, about his start in that uh, serious finale against Texas, how he battled, was actually why I was sort of impressed with his game against Pittsburgh uh, on Friday, where he did, you know, um, give up a couple runs. He walked uh, three guys. Um, I thought in that at, at a couple times in that game there were he was uh, he, sort of let down by his teammates in some ways mm -hmm. and he never he, he just he just battles he did not have his best stuff and it's, it's always fun, inter interesting to watch these guys who have really good stuff what do they do on nights when they don't have it you know and we've seen that a couple times from Lodolo we've seen it from from Hunter Green that's what rookie pitchers are going to do um, well I guess sophomores now but. Um, just see it in the way he tries to lock in, and he is a competitor. I don't know if there is more of a competitor on the scene. I don't, I don't know how you quantify that. You know, it's sort of just a, it's a, it's a buzzword maybe. But he he looks like he seems like a competitor, and uh, I don't know. Just uh, I, I'm I'm not ready to join his fan club yet. But as soon as he uh, joins the bullpen, like I predicted, I will get one of his jerseys. <laughs> uh, what about? Uh, well, let's talk about Nicoladolo. Because he had one of those days when he was off, uh, and that was his start uh, Monday. There was actually one, uh, not 
thanks to Lodolo. They were down six to one, I believe, early in that one because Lodolo went four innings pitch, gave up six earned runs, uh, nine hits. That's the thing about Ashcraft and, uh, you know, 11 innings in his, over his last two starts, only, only six hits allowed. And of course, Lodolo surrendered nine hits, did strike out six, only walked two, uh, but not sharp at all. And Mama said there'd be days like that, but, um, I'll be interested to see what happens his next uh, his next start. Get back on the uh, get back on the horse, but he, he didn't look too good. No, I think um, the words out on that slider is you know, it's nasty, but it's often a ball that hitters are swinging at. So if hitters are realizing that if they're patient and he's not painting the corners with it, then you know they're going to take that pitch. It's going to lead to an uptick in walks, and that's why he's got a whip close to two right now. Um, his fastball is really just a, an average or slightly above average pitch. It's not his his out pitch. So young pitchers are going to need to make adjustments. It's that constant cat and mouse game that's going to happen for the rest of his career. The league gets notes on him, and he'll have to figure something else out. So, you know, it's his turn to figure that thing out. And I'm, I'm no less high on Nickel Dolo than I have been at any point since he got in Cincinnati. But, you know, you're going to see that with all young players – but he's doing it on big stage right now, so we'll see. No, nah, the Reds should not sign him. He was he was really poor in that one start um, against the Texas Rangers. I just actually I, I, I blame myself for the Texas start because he struck out the first three batters, <laughs> and I, t- I tweeted out Reds to that. get his agent on the phone right now and blow yeah. up the next inning. Yeah. Oh man, when 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 the, he gave up six runs and the Reds were down big right after that Pirates series sweep, I was that that particular moment I was like. Oh my goodness! It's going to be this all season long, um, and so I thank the Reds for coming back in that game and for giving us uh, something to be happy about, to cheer about. Uh, I had fun watching, even in those four losses. I had fun watching the Reds this week, even though yes, frustrated. Uh, Hunter Green, obviously the other of the big three, maybe the biggest of the big three, fresh off his uh, new contract, pitched in the two to nothing loss to uh, Pittsburgh. That was, I believe, the series finale. Yes, it was the series finale. Um, Six innings pitched, one run, surrendered four hits, struck out six, walked two. Uh, well, you talk about that cat and mouse game, and that's that's where pitchers become pitchers. The the elite are able to adjust because the, the as they say, the guys that have the bats in their hands are driving Cadillacs too. Okay, they're, they're pros too. <laughs> so being able to uh, you know uh, anticipate and improve when they figure out uh, your tendencies is important. And so just a little tiny data point with respect to that uh, question. Hunter Green used his changeup 11 times in that Sunday uh, outing. He had used it seven times total in his previous four starts all combined. So um, a little bit of that, and it looked good. It looked good, especially when you play that changeup off that dazzling fastball or speedball, as our friend uh, Bruce calls it. Um, <laughs> it can be extremely effective. So good, interesting to see him use that a little more and, and lean on that a little bit more. Uh, just again, a, a tiny data point, but something to watch. I think it's uh, a huge data point. I know he only threw it 11 times, um, like you said, but him developing a reliable third pitch is the only way that he reaches his potential, you know, that ceiling, which is, which is high, which is as much potential as any young thrower in the league. So if he's, he was working on it in the offseason. He threw it in the spring, and then he just kind of went away from it his first couple starts. And I know that uh, – I imagine – or I don't know because I've never been a major league pitcher. You may not know that about me. But um, <laughs> I can only imagine that once you get up there and your adrenaline's pumping, you want to throw those things that you're really, really comfortable with. 
And he's so young that he didn't get those extra couple years that Lodolo and Ashcraft did to develop these pitches. So if he if he starts throwing that change with regularity and with confidence, I mean, just go and like play around with the stats since like August of last year when he came back. There's not a stat out there that is going to be discouraging to you. They're all terrific. Yeah. You know, he's not giving up those home runs anymore. I think last 10 starts, 1.9 ERA, 13 Ks per nine, a 1.00 whip, and 2.3 wins above replacements. They gave the man the money, gave him his flowers now. Hunter Green is doing that thing that we all kept waiting on him to do. And I, I feel like as Reds fans, we're not even appreciating it properly. I think that's absolutely true. And it's something we might need to make a, a recurring theme here to get people to, to appreciate what we have here. Uh, I, I don't think a lot of fans, a lot of fans do recognize what the Reds have here, but a lot don't because he doesn't throw eight innings, you know, like when we were growing up. Star pitchers, pitchers complete games. Well, that's not the way it works now. You get six, seven innings out of Hunter Green at just elite stuff. The guy is, he's, and he's still a kid. He's still, that's the part that I think people need to not forget. He's still a kid. He's 23 years old. Um, I don't know. I'm just a, uh, I'm a big Hunter Green fan, and I'm still, still on cloud nine about the Reds signing him to a contract extension. It's just uh, he, he's the one to start with. Uh, let's get these other guys signed. Um, well, Nate, you want to just talk about some of the transactions this week before we get into some of the other things we wanted to discuss? Um, I feel like that's what we tend to do on here, so I don't see any reason to change that now. Unlike the Reds, we're consistent. <laughs> Will Myers goes to the uh, the injured list. Um, and so uh, they, they did. There was no like, designation about what the injury was, and so that sounds like he may have, uh, you know, you know, something, um, some sort of virus. Um, the Reds also placed Graham Ashcraft on the bereavement list, as uh, Nate uh, noted earlier. So, um, Will Myers, you know, Will Myers, uh, he's not been good. He's yeah. not been good. 222 average, 292 on base, 321 slugging, uh, just really not producing. Um, and, and the Reds needed him to produce. I predict that he would produce. I still think he will uh, when he gets back. But been pretty ugly so far. And, and he was a bat that if this offense had any chance to do anything, he, uh, they needed him to be at least something close to the Will Myers that we've gotten to, to know and love over the years. Um, so, but sad to see him on the injured list. Yeah, he had those, those was it neck spasms or something. He was out for a couple of days. Um, in that Texas series, he's getting older. The weather's going to warm up. Cincinnati can be a tough place to play in the cold. Go look at his baseball reference page. You don't see many bad years. So I have all the confidence, confidence in the world that he's going to get back on track. But we need him to get on track so we can trade him. And I don't say that as a joke, uh, you know, about, oh, there is trade everybody. I'm saying, that's hey, a guy. If you can flip him, you sign him for very little. If you can flip him, that's good. That's good business. Yeah. Um, and he's not a guy the Reds are going to sign long-term. So, um, what are the transactions this week, Nate? What about uh, Jason Vosler? This week, the Reds designated former superstar Jason Vosler for assignment and called up Henry Ramos. Uh, Nate, the Jason Vosler era in Cincinnati is over. How, uh, how disappointed are you? I will never think of Jason Vosler again until I have to. <laughs> I do wish him all of the success in the world. But the guy that they brought up to replace him, I find really interesting. And I've been a fan of, I was a fan of that signing when it happened, even though it's 
only going to benefit the Reds so much. I think Henry Ramos is a real major league bat. You know, the guy has what was I got pulled up here somewhere? His career triple A line in over a thousand fourteen hundred plate appearances, two ninety seven, three fifty four, seventy one. So the guy has been a, a very good hitter at the closest thing to major league baseball for a long time. He has not put it together in major league baseball. So obviously that's why he signs for whatever that minimum contract or minor league deal he got was. But, you know, I think he's sort of a, uh, you know, Donovan Solano, Donnie Barrels. He's that kind of guy. He's come up and give you some professional at-bats. The guy just takes daddy hacks all day long, swings as hard as he can, and doesn't punish the baseball. I'm a Henry Ramos fan. You heard it here first. I think we're underestimating him. He's hitting 364, the 417 on base. 545 slugging for the Reds so far. No, it's three. Give games. me him over uh, the Albert Almora Juniors of the world, though. Like, <laughs> I'll take it well, all day long. He's fun. I guess, but he's also 31, and I long for the day when the Reds don't have any need for Donovan Solano or a uh, Henry Ramos. But whatever. Yeah. I'll, I like Daddy, yeah, Daddy Hex, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jason Vosler, remember those first five games? When he had a, a double, a triple, three home runs, seven RBIs. Oh, man, it just uh, – OPS was 1467. Yeah, he has been awful. He has been absolutely awful since then. And so, uh, you know, uh, Godspeed to you, Jason Bosler. I hope you do uh, well with the rest of your career. But uh, he was a guy that never would have been on the uh, the Reds roster if it had not been for Joey Votto and Christian Encarnacion Strand not being ready for opening day. And I'm glad he got a couple of a few days to enjoy some big league success because seemed like a nice guy, but so long. Um, speaking of that Encarnacion Strand guy, yeah, let's talk about Christian Encarnacion Strand. He was activated this week finally, and yeah, he's not really done anything uh, as far as I can tell since he got activated. He's just, I mean, he, I know he's been on the roster. Has he even played? I haven't seen any highlights or anything. I think he's he got benched for uh, Jason Bossler. I think so as well. He or Will have. Benson is a bust. Uh, yeah, yeah. Will Benson. Oh wait, oh wait. <laughs> yes. Um, so Christian Encarnacion Strand, who obviously was so uh, incredible this spring, and again probably would have been the starting first baseman on opening day if he hadn't gotten injured back injury. Comes in, and first of all, did you see his first home run, which I guess was in his first game? Did you see that? The ball still hasn't landed. I mean, you talk about daddy hacks. That dude killed the ball. Well, today, in addition to uh, Christian Encarnacion Strand, we're going to talk about L.A. De La Cruz as well because uh, he's he's looking pretty good down in the Triple A's. Today, Louisville went to Iowa and – <laughs> lost 18 to 16. Now, stop me if you've heard this one before. Hunter Strickland took the loss. Uh, it's hard to believe uh, Hunter Strickland gave up two runs in a two-thirds of an inning. But Christian Encarnacion Strand, five for six, two home runs, six RBIs. Ellie De La Cruz, four for six, three runs scored, three RBIs. Um, he had a double and a triple. Uh, Matt McLean, two for four, a couple of RBIs, two for four with two walks. Um, McLean also had a, had a double. Um, 
those three guys, well, here, here are your numbers. Encarnacion Strands hitting 474. His OPS plus is 1577. I don't know. Small yeah. sample size. <laughs> uh, Matt McClain, 329, 1103. And um, Elliot Cruz not quite as good. I, mean, I had it here. Let me, now I can't find it. Um, Will Benson hitting 077 in eight games down there. Elliot Cruz uh, started off slower, uh, but great game today. Um, I would, and 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 not just a great game, but if you've seen the highlights, go look for the highlights if you haven't seen them yet of Elliot Cruz. I mean, look for, look for Encarnacion Strands bombs, but Elliot Cruz hit a triple and it took him like 11 seconds to get to third base. I could not get to first base in 11 seconds, <laughs> but I'm old and decrepit. I gum my food and my women. Um, sorry, uh, that's a quote from a bad movie. Um Ellie De La Cruz, uh, Matt McClain, Chris and Encarnacion Strand, take it wherever you want to take it. <laughs> and I do slander Maverick, but <laughs> <laughs> um, the the uh, the headline here on the notes document was Matt McClain is making his case. Um, that, my friend, is an understatement. Before that game, he had a four five six slash line, uh, the seventeen walks, twenty one Ks, which is nineteen walks now which is probably the most encouraging thing. This K, uh, K rate was way up last year. Um, he's leading Louisville in home runs, which probably won't be for long because CES is on his heels. You know, I, I think he's the one we need to be talking about most. CES just got off the injured list, give him some more time, but I don't see why Matt McLean is still down. Even if he could, in theory, use a little more seasoning, Bring him up when he's already scorching hot. You know, hitters talk about being in the zone when the when the when the ball looks bigger and you're just locked in. The gaps are wider. He's there, like he is as hot as a baseball player gets. And he also has giant guns. He's got these pythons, which has nothing to do with baseball, but it's pretty cool. So I'm uh, much like everybody else in Cincinnati. I'm ready for the Matt McClain era to begin. There's just places for him on that roster. We can get him. We can get him yeah. at bats. Yeah, I, we, we're, as always, overreacting maybe to small sample sizes. But, man, McLean, uh, just unbelievable. Six home runs. Uh, I'd love the fact that he has 19 walks. Mm -hmm. He has 26 hits, but 19 walks. His on-base percentage is 470. Um, it, there's literally nothing about Matt McLean that is not to uh, not to be happy about. Um, play, he's played shortstop and second base this year. Um, can play some center field as well. Played some center field in college. There's places to play him. I, you, okay, so yeah, he's not 11 years old like Ellie. Like he's he's a man, right? He's college. Yeah, he's a college guy. So I guess the question is, you just you just made a passionate uh, argument in favor of giving Jose Barrero some time. Are you uh, going back on that and saying that they need to give his spot to uh, Ellie De La Cruz, or do you have other ideas? Or to excuse me, Matt McClain. Um, I think. That is, I mean, McLean's got to be the guy, right? I mean, who goes down, I guess? You've got options for that. You've got the Stuart Fairchilds of the world. You've got, I mean, 11 catchers and Kevin Newman's. <laughs> there are at-bats yeah. to get this guy. Um, Ellie, I think he needs more time. He he started off slow. He tends to do that. There's he's, he's 11 years old. There is no reason not to let him figure it out a little bit and also play defensive shortstop at a higher level. I think Matt McLean is the most likely to get moved around a little bit. So get him up. The Reds need – I mean, you're going to sell tickets. You're going to get the fans excited for something. I, it seems like a no-brainer to me. I mean, other than small sample size, what's the argument against it? Well, the only argument against it, I guess, 
would be the Reds have professional talent evaluators who may think he, there's areas of his game that he does need to work on. Uh, McLean, we're talking about before he comes to the big leagues. Are you uh, assuming that they know more about it than I do? I am presuming that it is bold given this franchise and the lack of success over the years, but I'm still going to presume that they have some people that know a little bit more than we do. So there may be some uh, okay. something there, but uh, you know, on its face, uh, McLean has been unbelievable in every uh, facet of the game. And to me, it comes back to what we've been saying all year, which is I know you're going to be bad, at least be interesting. Bringing Matt McLean up gives me another guy to watch. There are a few guys on this team that I like to watch. Um, one of those was Will Benson. They took him away from me for some reason. I don't know what that's about. But give me uh, Matt McLean. Get him up here and play him at uh, shortstop. Again, I like Jose Barrero. Mix and match him a little bit. You know, I don't uh, mix and match him in center field, even. Uh, I, get him up here. That's all I'm saying. That's all I have to say. Encarnacion Strand and Ellie De La Cruz. Yes, I think let's. Encarnacion Strand's what three games into his uh, season so far. Uh, yeah, okay. Give him some time at AAA. Ellie De La Cruz. Yeah, give him some time. Although today, gosh, the, the, if you only watched Ellie De La Cruz's highlights, you would think he's the greatest player in the history of the world. Because every highlight is something superhuman. Just flying all over the place, stand-up triples, knocking the ball into next week. Uh, boy, I just, he's another guy I can't wait. But I, I, I will wait on him, I guess. Hell, uh, what would be your projection for when all three of those guys are on the big league roster? Well, I mean, that's, that's tough to say. Do we have a have to... viewer mail question about that? I might just jump the gun. I don't know. I don't read those questions before we begin. What are you talking about? No, I don't think we have a question about that. Maybe we do. Actually, I mention it. Whatever. I'm going to answer it if we if we have a question later, uh, which I did read the questions and prepare for them, but I can't remember. Um, and a lot of it depends on what they're going to do. I, I just I'm not ready to predict that Ellie De La Cruz and Christian Encarnacion Strand are going to keep. You know, well, uh, that Encarnacion Strand is going to keep matching like he did in spring training and if he has so far. Although, boy, he didn't look like he'd missed a beat uh, when he got back. And uh, Ellie De La Cruz, I don't know, he's still, he's still a kid, like you said. So, But if those guys are not all in Cincinnati by August, something's gone wrong with one or more of them um, or with the Reds because I, I don't see any reason, especially if, if around August the Reds are inevitably a faded out of contention. I think it's actually April and they've faded out of contention. But that's whatever. Go Reds. They just swept the Rangers. Did you know that? They swept <laughs> the Texas. Um, so I, yeah, I say August. Let's not get preemptively mad at the Reds for something <laughs> three months from right. now. Right. Um, August, I think, is my answer to your question. Uh, they all should be here. And if so, that makes this team interesting. They may not be good, but it's more interesting pieces. All right. Um, very briefly, I'm, I'm going to let you, if there's anything you want to say about it, uh, you, you can. We sort of talked about it last week. No, that was two weeks ago, I think, when you had your hot take about firing David Bell, uh, which is, come on, Nate, that's a hot take. Well, I wrote this week, should uh, David Bell be on the hot seat? And when I went to, and the reason I wrote it is because every time he makes a strange decision or every time the Reds lose, I get inundated on Twitter with people in my mentions saying, fire David Bell, worst manager ever. And so I went and looked a little bit of the, the numbers. Uh, on April 7th, the Reds' bullpen melted down. The Reds lost 5-2 to two to Philadelphia. That was the 297th loss of David Bell's tenure as manager of the Cincinnati Reds. Nate, 
That moved him into the top 10 all time in Reds losses. So presumably the, the top 10 most losses in Reds history for a manager are probably, you would have to say the 10 worst managers in Reds history, right? You think, right? Does that make sense? I mean, if, if you're being, you know, intentional, sure. <laughs> if you're trying to say no, uh, Bill McKechnie, Hall of Famer, top was well, number one on the list. Sparky Anderson, number two, also a Hall of Famer, and Dusty Baker probably will be a Hall of Famer, uh, top three of the top ten. There's only two of the managers who have a losing record: David Bell and Brian Price, who you will note both managed during the Castellini regime. Uh, so, um, you know, I wrote this after the Reds. Uh, Lost six in a row, 14 out of 18 games. And I wanted to see, take the temperature of the fan base. Did a poll, and it was surprisingly split. So, which means the Fire David Bell crew are, are just louder. But I guess to my point, I said I was going to let you, uh, I wasn't going to talk about it much, but I hear, as I always do, I am. Um, my point was essentially number one, there's not a person, not a manager on earth that you could fire David Bell today that would make the Reds appreciably better by the end of the year. Not, nobody's going to make this team competitive. So who cares, frankly? Uh, number two, if they fire him, he's just a scapegoat for the failures of management. Um, and number three, he's, I, I can't make any arguments that he's done anything good. I certainly can't. And I, I tried to make some arguments. I couldn't come up with them. But I can't. also can't make any arguments that he's the worst manager in the league either. As we've said many times, he's just an average manager. He's a placeholder. He's not going to be the manager of the next good Reds team, uh, but they have him under contract. I, I wouldn't fire him. I know you had that hot take, but I, I wouldn't fire him because what's the point? I guess is my, and that, which is not a great argument. Eh, what's the point? <laughs> you know, that's not a great argument in favor of him, but that's where we are. Thoughts? I, I do think that's fair if you don't have someone that you're excited about replacing him with. If you haven't begun that, and you don't have a guy, uh, you know, next in line. But I thought about having a, a weekly recurring segment on uh, what David Bell should be fired for this week. I think, it's, <laughs> okay. I think he makes it pretty easy every time he bats Stuart Fairchild in the three. Oh, my goodness. Like, oh, my goodness. The lineup's construction, construction is terrible. I I mean, Nick Senzel would not have been in the position to get that walk off yesterday. Because if Will Myers hadn't been hurt, David Bell tried to sit him the day after his first three-hit game of maybe his entire career. Yeah, you know, ride, ride that momentum out. That made me furious. And, and y'all can tell me that he uh, outmaneuvered and was playing 3D chess against Bruce Bochy the other day by uh, doing that lefty-righty pinch hit um, relief pitcher game. I'm sorry. I don't believe it. I think he just got an idea real quick, and it worked out for him. My take is simple, and we've touched on this a little bit before. David Bell, his Cincinnati Reds have never once – overachieved they've always underachieved you know i know the roster isn't his fault he can't run pitch or hit but what is the job of the manager if not to squeeze a little bit of extra talent juice and success out of your players and that has never once happened under david bell so i don't think somebody comes in and you know replaces him and takes his team to the postseason or anything but so maybe yeah maybe nothing should happen until down the line but I don't think David Bell is the manager for this team when we want them to compete. Well, you know, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right about that. And the point is a solid one about uh, underachieving, overachieving. All those things you were talking about, the lineup construction and the silliness like that, David, uh, Dusty Baker did every bit of that when he was Reds manager. But 
Dusty Baker had some magic pixie dust that he sprinkled in the clubhouse, and the teams overachieved. Uh, he kept those teams together by and large, and uh, and they won. Uh, and he's always done that everywhere he's gone. Now, because he makes those dumb lineup decisions and in-game decisions, that's why he's until last year he's struggled in the postseason. Also, the postseason is a crapshoot. Uh, yeah, I, I I sort of broke it down a little bit, and I'm talking about my piece at Cincinnati Magazine. If you want to go uh, check that out, I looked at and this is a really blunt tool to judge uh, a, a manager, but every full season that David Bell's managed, if you look at something called Pythagorean winning percentage, it's just very simple math to tell you. Well, this is based on how many runs that a team scores and how many they've uh, given up. They should win X number of games. And that's a pretty uh, useful tool in some ways to see whether a team's going to is underperforming or uh, overperforming their ability. And he has never once in a full season um, outperformed. He's always underperformed his Pythagorean winning percentage. Um, so Pythagoras, two weeks ago, Nate said fire David Bell. This week it's Pythagoras, famed mathematician Pythagoras. Almost as respected in the academic community as I am. It's true. Almost. Not quite. Almost. Uh, Nate, you want to answer some? No, no, we can't answer your email questions yet. We have uh, actually two things I want to say quickly, because, again, I am nothing if not shameless about promoting myself. ChadDotson.com, uh, my most recent uh, newsletter. It's free. Go su subscribe. If I don't get 25 new subscriptions from those of you listening to the show, that's the minimum, 25, then we're ending the show forever. I'm boycotting the riverfront. Uh, I wrote about the attendance. And again, there's not a whole lot to say here. We know the attendance is bad. It, it just struck me when Nick Zell got that home run. Uh, no, actually, it was TJ Friedel's walk-off on Monday against the Rangers. And they're celebrating. And you look around, and there's like in front of dozens of fans. It just literally, there are dozens of us, as uh, David Cross would have said in uh, in the show Arrested Development. Literally dozens of us. And so I went to look, and the Reds last year, you know, had the worst attendance record in the history of Red American Ballpark, worst in almost 40 years. This year, they're on pace to smash that record again. It's it's far below last year's pace uh, after, I guess, uh, 15 games now. So not much more to say other than Reds fans appear to continue to be voting with their feet. Is that going to encourage the Castellinis to do something? Or... Is that the impetus behind, hey, we just signed Hunter and we're having preliminary negotiations? Has that had something to do with it? We don't know, but I would like to think that it's at some point going to have some effect. I don't know if you have anything, any thoughts there if you want to move on, but um, go subscribe. Put a, put a winner on the field and the fans will show back up. If you win it, at, they will come. That's the thing. I always talk about this lost generation of Reds fans, and it's true. There is a lost generation, but guess what? They're going to come back. If the Reds just win, since they love baseball, they're going to come back. Um the Castellinis need to understand that. Okay. Um, it's time for our favorite segment of the week. The weekly Reggie Sanders belongs in the Reds Hall of Fame reminder. Nate, can you tell us this week, what's the what's, what's the reason among many, but which one have you chosen this week for why Reggie Sanders should be in the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame? It's a travesty. We could dedicate every episode to this one topic for the rest of the year if we wanted to. But we'll save you from that. Reggie Sanders is one of only eight players, eight in all of Major League Baseball history. That is a long history with a lot of players. That is in a 300-300 club. That is 300 home runs and 300 stolen bases. Do you want to know who the other seven are? How many can you get? 
Um, Ricky Henderson. No. Really? Yeah. Um, Tim Raines. Nope. Barry Bonds. Yes. <laughs> um, Eric Davis. No. That I would know, be nice. That would be single. Nice. If you're watching on YouTube, there's a single tear that just went down my cheek. The seven uh, guys that you may have heard of are uh, two Bonses, Barry and Bobby, Willie Mays, okay. Steve Finley, Andre Dawson, Carlos Beltran, and Alex Rodriguez. That's some pretty good wow. company. It's not bad. And Reggie now, Sanders. We- and he's not good enough to be in the Reds Hall of Fame, apparently. Outrageous. Now, those 300 and 300 did not come all in a red uniform, obviously. He played for a, a of number course. of different teams. But uh, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a really a, a, should be a scandal of epic proportions in Cincinnati that uh, Reggie Sanders is not in. The, and the reason why I, I'm getting, I'm getting word here from the home office, I'm hearing people complaining on, on Twitter as they're listening to this. That he's also in the 300, 300, 300 club. He had 300 strikeouts in the 1995 National League Championship Series against the Atlanta Braves. That's what people say. He didn't shoot me in the Hall of Fame because of one series. Get out of town, that nonsense. Go look at his career postseason stats and maybe give the guy a break because he he had some Crazy. big performances after that. Yeah, and as I always say, in that 1995 season, he was the best player in the National League. He should have been the most valuable yeah. player. Now, they gave it to Barry Larkin, which I'm okay with. But hey. – um, but uh, Barry Locker was not the best Reds uh, player that year. It was, it was uh, Randy Sanders. Nate, have some viewer mail, my friend. Let's dive right in. We got some people to acknowledge this week. We do. I'm First excited. of all, we have a new member. Yeah, a new member of our Beer League softball team. Uh, if you want to join the Beer League softball team, go to patreon.com slash riverfrontcincy. And uh, you get access to the Slack channel, a bunch of goodies, and uh, also get a position on our team. This week's new uh, member of the family, Corbin Palmer. Corbin Palmer. Nate, here's what I say about Corbin Palmer. I think his position on our team is, uh, I started to say pitcher. Lanky, right-handed pitcher in the Jim Palmer mode, but instead I'm going third baseman. He's a third baseman uh, who is a great hitter, disinterested in the field. A little disinterested. He he just wants to hit. Uh, in the Corbin Burnson from uh, Major League model, didn't. I guess. You stole my dick. <laughs> oh, did I really? Oh, I'm sorry. We, we should have discussed that. Nate, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's it. I, I, you nailed it. He uh, does not want to get injured. He's got a big career after the big the beer league softball season in Hollywood. He's going to be an actor. Handsome guy. Handsome guy, <laughs> yeah. Oh. Fantastic. He finds his heart later in the season and helps him, uh, helps the beer league team <laughs> march towards the playoffs. So welcome, Corbin. Oh, yes, absolutely. Another guy I would have uh, mentioned here uh, just joined us, uh, and I'm not sure if he's checked in on our Slack channel yet, but hopefully he will. Um, Andrew Williams, uh, I just the only reason I want to mention is, dude, what are, you doing? what are you doing signing up to join the family with a vt.edu email address? Do we have a hokey in the midst? Do we, is it possible that we have a hokey in the family? It's not too Nate, late for you to change that, Andrew. It's not too late. <laughs> How dare you? Oh no, no. Uh, those are those are that's an inside joke here because I actually have uh, two hokies in my family as of uh, as of right now. Um, so no, welcome, welcome both of you. Happy to have you um, join the family, and uh, look forward to interacting. Uh, on the Slack channel with you. If you don't know what Slack is, by the way, it's just essentially it's our own private Twitter without the nonsense and the drama. We just laugh and, and, and joke and talk about everything. You know, there are different channels on there for, for baseball, football, soccer, movies, you know, everything. 
So come join us. A couple bucks a month to get in on the Slack channel. That's worth it. First question. Seth Shaner. Seth says, now first of all, Seth, by the way, first question, I should have bumped this to the bottom because Seth is not following the rules here. Short. Short, <laughs> quick questions, okay? Um, if we want to get through all of them. But we'll, we'll, we'll indulge Seth this week because he usually has a good question. We don't know how the glut of shortstops will shake out, but seeing Ellie De La Cruz come off the injured list and force Matt McClain to move to second base got me wondering when and if three or more of these prospect shortstops are in Cincinnati, do you put Elliott short because his overall game makes him the alpha, even if one of the other guys are slightly better defensively, or do you play the best defender there? Obviously, this is a moot point if Ellie is actually also the best defender in addition to his otherworldly offensive talent. Uh, my quick answer, and I'll let you uh, have it, Nate, is just you put who the best defensive shortstop is there. To me, I mean, I, 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 if they're all good enough to play, find a place for them, but shortstop's probably the most important defensive position on the field. Get your best defender there, whoever. I is. agree. I agree completely, and from everything that I've read, it sounds like they don't have to really worry about a better defensive shortstop coming up until Edwin Arroyo does, and he's likely at least two years behind Ellie. So cross that bridge when we come to it. And what a great what a great problem to have. If you have somebody that's a better defensive shortstop than uh, you know, Ellie De La Cruz, who has all the tools to be an elite defensive shortstop. So, no, that's a good question. Next question comes from Kyle Kapler. Kyle says, what a way to end the week. Actually, Kyle, um, is he talking about the Pirate Series? That's how the last week ended. What a way to begin the week, Kyle, with a three-game sweep of the Rangers. Nate, did you realize that the Reds are on a three-game winning streak? They just swept the Texas Rangers. Did you know that? Since Monday, they are literally the best team in Major League Baseball. Undefeated. Unstoppable. And you know why? Nixon Zell, baby. Nixon Zell is back. Um, with where we're at right now, out of the 26 guys on the current roster, who do you consider as the core going forward into the future? Yeah, I love this. I love this uh, question. Position players, starters, and bullpen. So I've pulled up on my screen. You can't see this, but the Reds' 26-man active roster. So just active roster. So, yeah, obviously, you know, Joey Votto is the is part of the core for the next 10 years, but he's not on the active roster. Eladie La Cruz is not on the active roster. He should be part of the core. So I'm going to start with the uh, with the pitchers. Um. And I, I just have in one big pile of starters and relievers, because that's the way they're listed on uh, MLB.com. Luis Sessa, no. Fernando Cruz, no. Alexis Diaz, yes. Yes, I would say he's part of the core, if a reliever's ever going to be part of a, of a core. But yes, Buck Farmer, no. And, and tell me if you disagree with any of these, Nate. Uh, Ian Jabot, no. Hunter Green, no. I was leaving some space for you. I'll to, stop you right there. I'll stop you right there. <laughs> to disagree with me. Yeah, Hunter Green, obviously, yes. Derek Law, no. Casey Ligjamina, or however you pronounce his name, no. Lodolo, uh, yes. Um, San Martin, no. Lucas Sims, no. Um, I'm sorry. I would like it, but uh, he's about to be 30. Luke Weaver, no. Alex Young, no. So, really, all we have there are, and we would have said this before the season, Alexis Diaz and the big three, Green, Lodolo, and I didn't say Ashcraft because he's not listed there because he's not on the active roster. He's on the bereavement list, but uh, we'll include him. So um, any disagreements with any of that, Nate? No, I can see a world where Lucas Sims ends up getting there, but he's got to show up first. The injuries have been too too severe and too plentiful. So, yeah, just those, just those four arms. Yeah, I mean, the, the I guess it depends on what you mean, what uh, how you read the question from Kyle, the core going forward into the future. I'm thinking about this more in the sense of, which guys 
should you want to keep around to be part of the next good Reds team, if mm-hmm. and when that is. And, and obviously I've made the case that it could be a, a good Reds team in as short as a year or two if you do the right things. Um, so Lucas Sims, yeah, yeah, I can't get there, but yeah. I, I, see wouldn't, what you're yeah, I, wouldn't, put, I wouldn't put money on it. Um, you want to take the catchers? That's a pretty easy one. Uh, Luke Maley. <laughs> Luke Maley is the only one. Chucky Robinson. <laughs> oh, obviously it's just uh, Kirk Cassell. No, come on. This is this is dumb. Tyler Stevenson, yes, is part of the core, though. I think we agree on that one, right? Completely. Uh, are, are we worried about Tyler Stevenson? No, he had a really good week. The guy has got an on-base percentage near 400. He'll be fine. No home runs still? No home runs. They'll come. No. He's a giant man. Yeah, not worried. Not worried about it. How about the infielders? Look, let's look at the infielders now uh, on this on the current active roster. Here are the four: Jose Barrero, Jonathan India, Kevin Newman, and Spencer Steer. Now, this is an interesting one. Out of those four, Barrero, India, Newman, and Spencer Steer, are any of those guys in the Reds' core going forward? The answer is yes, but which ones I do not know. We can eliminate one. Right, I think for the sake of this exercise, we can eliminate two. Okay, I presume that when you say eliminate two, you're talking about Kevin Newman. Yes, and Jose Barrero. You're already saying he's not going to be part of the core. I think you're right. I think that's where I land. I decided that he's going on a hot streak and gets traded, so that everybody wins. Okay, there you go. Win, 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 win. So the question is Jonathan India and Spencer Steer. Now, Jonathan India. Let's take him first the average Reds fan would say he needs to be the next person to be signed to a long-term contract. He's the guy who you see uh, the, the jerseys in the stands uh, mm-hmm. of. He's the one, you know, I've got friends, their kids all love Jonathan India, which is understandable. I love Jonathan India. Is he part of the core going forward? I'm saying no. I'm, I'm, I'm laying my marker down. I'm saying no. I just... I, he, Go ahead. No, I was going to say, he's, I, I hope that this is something that people bring back up to me because he is playing well so far this season. He looks a Ooh. whole lot more like the, the guy from a couple years ago. Um, and he, his hair is, is glorious. It's just glorious. I love it. I love it unconditionally, um, although I presume he does use conditioner on it. Um, his defense is not good. And I'm not sure that um, defensively, when you have these guys coming up, like Matt McClain and Ella De La Cruz, I'm not sure. I mean, you put him in left field. Well, if you do that, he can't doesn't really hit like a left fielder. Third base, I mean, is he going to hit or play defense better than Spencer Steer? Um, maybe. I mean, you can make that argument. Um, so far this year, uh, he you know uh, he has barely, but Spencer Steer's hit pretty well. Spencer Steer's a year younger. So I've kind of morphed into the Spencer Steer argument here, and I'm not going to make a pronouncement on him just yet. I want to get your your take on Jonathan India. I'm going to zag and say that he is. I think that they've got him for a few more years, so they got him long enough for the Reds to be good um, within that window. I think the guy we're seeing this year is somebody that um, he's putting up numbers that you can expect for the next few years. And I think he's one of those guys that the Castellanos are going to say, holy crap, the, the city loves this dude. We have to try our best to keep him around. Yeah, that's Whether exactly or not what... he deserves it, I don't <laughs> know. But he's definitely the type of guy that I will not be unhappy to be rooting for for a long time. It just depends on what, uh, yeah. you know, what contract they give him. 
No, I agree. If he's on the Reds for a long time, I'm happy with that. I love watching the guy play. I, I, seriously, it sounds like I'm being critical. I'm not. There's nothing. I'm critical of his defense, maybe. But you just start. You start uh, crunching the numbers. You start looking around and moving the pieces. And if some of the young guys are as good as they project to be, he, he just kind of ends up being the odd man out. He, a DA, he's gonna be the DH or something. And does he hit for enough power to be a DH? I, I, it's easy to figure out how he could get lost in the fold. Well. And, and also, I think we don't need to forget this this part of it. And by the way, we're, we're an hour and five minutes into this. What is going on? We're going to have to rapid fire this. We're having too much fun this week. Um, we talk all the time about the Reds. How all these shortstops, they're going to trade some of them, trade from depth at some point. Well, who's going to have more value on the trade market if Jonathan India performs well this year, uh, back to what he did last year? He's going to have a lot of value. Now, I'm not suggesting they trade him this year. Um, and I think we could be, oh boy, if, if we get to the situation where he's not traded only because he's a fan favorite, which has happened in Cincinnati. I can, Crazy. yeah. Uh, Bob Castellini refused to allow Billy Hamilton to be traded for Shane Bieber. I'm telling you, I know this for a fact. Um, Billy Hamilton, who I love, was my favorite player, comic book superhero, but, but come on. Um, yeah, he may be the odd man out, but that's not, that's not necessarily a bad thing because he potentially has some value, real value. To, uh, to some team out there that needs a second baseman um, and will suffer through his uh, defense. Now, none of this, if these prospects don't pan out, then none of this, it's all irrelevant. We'll keep him and whatever. But I wouldn't be eager to be signing him to a long-term deal right now if I were the Reds, unless it was a really modest price. So, yeah. Uh, Spencer Steer? I'm saying yes. I'm going yes on Spencer Steer. I think I'm going to go yes, too. Just 25. Uh, he has a bat. I think I'm going to say well, I don't know. If I, can I say no to India and yes to Spencer Steer? I just did. Outfielders currently on the uh, active roster. Here are the five outfielders, none of whom are in the core going forward. Stuart Fairchild, Jake Fraley, TJ Friedel, Henry Ramos, and Nixon. I'll tell you back. Nixon Zell is clearly, uh, he's the core. <laughs> he's not part of the core. He's the core. But the rest of them, I don't see. I guess you can make an argument for, for TJ Friedel and, some people irrationally love uh, Stuart Fairchild, which is fine. He's a handsome guy, but um, what do you think about those guys? Any of those? If I was a betting man, I would say no, but maybe we just found where we put India, one of those corner outfield spots. Um, I'm, I'm a huge Friedel fan, so I would, I would like to see him be around. I think the talent that he brings, the skill set is real, and it'll play for a long time, but you run out of spots eventually if all these guys, if all these young guys are good. So I, I – Maybe not. I'm going to say yes because I'm in a good mood and the Reds just swept the Rangers. I don't know if you know that. So, um, <laughs> Wait, what? The three pitchers and Diaz plus Friedel, India, and Steer and Stevenson for me. So eight guys. All right. I can't I can't go with Friedel. I think he – I want him to be around for a while, but I think he's, his skill set is as a, four, a good fourth outfielder, and I don't know that I consider a fourth outfielder to be part of your core, but whatever. I'll tell you. Um, and Nixon Zell, obviously. Nixon Zell. Nate, have you seen what Nixon Zell's numbers are the last two games? Off the charts. Raking. Off the charts. Next question comes from Dwight Kelly. Dwight Kelly says the Reds are on pace to finish 65 and 97. The season is still young, but I believe the Pirates will regress and the stupid Cardinals will do what they do, compete for the division. What do you think? Yeah, obviously. Yeah. I think the Pirates are sneaky legit. Not as good as they are right now. Not best in the National League good, but they just took two out of three from the Dodgers in LA. Like, they made a lot of really good moves in the offseason, getting a bunch of proven major league veterans. 
things that we were clamoring for the Reds to do, I think they're going to hang around for a while. You see, they signed uh, their uh, center fielder Brian Reynolds to a a long term extension, but um, yeah, wasn't wasn't that many dollars? I would, lo- <laughs> and so I guess it makes you, you think. I'm sure their fans were saying, "Oh, I bet they're going to trade him for a haul of prospects." <laughs> I mean, they probably could. Um, a good player, but it's interesting to see them doing something like that with a with a veteran guy. I mean, not a yeah. I mean, he's not old, but he's not a you know um, he's been one of the good for a little while. Yeah, yeah. So I thought it was interesting. Um, all right, rapid fire. We got to get through these. Joey Gaditza, what a nice surprise Texas series. That was fun. Can they keep keep it going into Oakland? The Reds obviously go to Oakland next to play the Athletics in a three game series, six game West Coast road trip uh, against Oakland and San Diego. Yes, obviously they're going to keep it going. Is this even a question? Three feet in nineteen ninety, baby, to winning them, winning them all. That's right. Chris Sable will hit a, two home runs. Um, in game three out there, Joey Gadiza, what kind of a question is that? It's obvious. Rich Thompson, who is the better JV player for the Reds? Boy, the Reds had a lot of JV play. He's talking about initials, I guess. But Josh Van Meter or Jason Vosler? Best JV player for the Reds. I don't um, have an answer because I'm just so shocked that that was such a short question from Rich. <laughs> it's the shortest question in Rich's history as a member of the uh, the family. Um I got to go Josh Van Meter. You know, Van Meter played 109 games in Cincinnati. Not not good. 214 average, 3805 on base. Um not not good. But uh, he played around different positions. Eh, fine. J- then again, maybe Jason Bowser only had 20 games and only hit 161, but he did have that first week where he you know, blasted home runs and RBIs and uh, I think he was the, the team leader Saw this on uh, on the Twitters. The Reds' team leader in home runs when he was designated for assignment. <laughs> That's got to be rare to be leading your team in home runs and get canned. But so I'm going with Josh Van Meter, Nate. Yeah, sounds good. I've already forgotten about the other guy. So Van Meter, it is. There we go. Uh, Rex, Rex Scott, greetings from Reds country in the Sonoran Desert. Jonathan India boldly said at the beginning of the season that he wanted to take on a leadership role within the team. Has he lived up to meeting his goal so far? And who are the other player? Who are other players you guys see as clubhouse and or on field leaders? By the way, I do like Joe Farsing, even if Chad doesn't. It's true, I don't. Um, <laughs> Joe, host of these the Riverfront Bengals show, going live later tonight. I guess you will have already been by the time you hear this, it will have already been live. But Bengals draft, so they're they're having fun. Yeah, but you can go back and listen to it. Um. To me, Tyler Stevenson is uh, is the other guy that I, I see as being a clubhouse leader, not just because he kind of, you know, hooked arms with India in, in those preseason interviews and said it, but just he's the young guy that's a sort of a stud. And I think uh, I think Hunter Green is going to be a guy that th- this team really stands in line and follows, especially now he's the first guy to commit beyond uh, this year. Yeah, took the words right out of my mouth. Hunter Green is uh, sort of that next man up, and he was instrumental in the offseason of uh, you know, kind of being adamant that they wanted to change the culture of uh, in the clubhouse. Yeah, and the other part of that question, has India lived up to meeting his goal? Yeah, I mean, I have no complaints with Jonathan India so far. Um, and I like the goofy Viking stuff, and, you know, it, it's, it gets old if you don't hit any home runs. You forget that they're going to do it. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, he's, he has been a leader of this team so far. Good for him, you know, whatever that means. But uh, I like a guy that's fiery and plays hard. I like Sure, be the leader. I want everybody else to do that. That's it. 
All right. Now, the last question here, Nate, and this is one of the, one of the best questions. I just I love this question. Uh, I'm going to let you I'm gonna let you answer it first from our friend Brandon Kamek. The phone rings. It's Jeff Bezos. He agrees to buy the Reds and commits to a major payroll increase going forward under these conditions. Phil is the general manager. Barry Larkin is the manager. Eric Milton is the pitching coach. And Moose, Mike Moustakas presumably, is the hitting coach slash athletic trainer. <laughs> None of them can be relieved of their duties at any time. Do you accept? <laughs> A major payroll increase with Phil the GM, Barry Larkin manager, Eric Milton pitching coach, Moose hitting coach, athletic trainer, and can't be fired. Nate, do you take that deal? I was willing to entertain it until he uh, included athletic trainer in there for Moose. So I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> Give me the give me the A's payroll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with with actual competent executives running the uh, the team. That's what I say. Give me the uh, give me the Tampa Bay Rays uh, front office. Yeah, no, I could buy Eric Milton as a pitching coach or Moose as a hitting coach because those guys got to the big leagues. They know a little little bit. They and they might be good coaches. I don't know. Barry Larkin is probably he's my favorite player. He's probably not going to be a good manager based on lots of reasons, but. Phil's the GM's the one that I say no. I'm sorry, Jeff Bezos. I'm declining. All right, Nate. What else going on around the riverfront? Hey, that was a fun episode of the the Late Night Reds show on Sunday, wasn't it? it just, oh, uh, man, that was awesome. If you did not get a chance to go check that out, Tim uh, interviewing Drew Stubbs and talking about some good memories, some uh, – you know, his, his stories behind the scenes were a lot of fun. Him doing great stuff over there. They'll be coming back at you live this Sunday night. Um, Joe's going live. We'll have gone live to discuss the first round of the Bengals uh, draft pick at number 28. So go check out the guys over at the Riverfront Bengals show. Him and Greg are doing fun things. And, yeah, we're going to keep it coming at you. I just – I can't believe he took my Roger Dorn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize. We really need to <laughs> – talk i should have told you i should have told you <laughs> the thing that people don't realize is we only talk on the podcast we never talk outside of this show so we can learn this game. exactly all right um nate any other final thoughts before we get out of here i'll do it this was a fun one let's keep up keep up the momentum reds yeah let's have some fun thank you to everyone for listening uh and supporting the riverfront please remember to subscribe or follow the show um either in, on youtube smash that subscribe button uh, or in your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're at Riverfront Cincy on all those platforms. And, and talk about us. Well, if you like us, talk about us. If you don't like us, keep your mouth shut. But that's how you grow a podcast. Word of mouth. Tell your friends uh, that we have a lot of fun. And as always, huge thank you to our friends at patreon.com slash Riverfront Cincy. This show would literally not be possible without the support of our Patreon family. So come join in the hijinks. Hey, shout out to Adam Dunn. Shouts to Lisa Alberto, Wayne Krenchicki, and Eli Cash for Nate Dotson and Nixon Zell, the legend. Nixon Zell, the GOAT. This is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone.